0: Hi, everyone. This is Tech and EdTech. In this podcast, we discuss technology that powers education and improves learning for all. In today's episode, we'll be focusing on AI and data governance for education. I'm your host, Dan Gizzi from Magic EdTech, and our guest today is Michael Lyons, Chief Information Officer at Massachusetts Bay Community College. Michael, thanks for joining me and welcome to today's show.
1: Oh, thanks for having me. It's really a pleasure to be here today.
0: Yeah, we appreciate uh, learning a little bit more about you and your background as well. Um, Can you give us a little bit of uh, history and how you got into education and uh, and more specifically how you got into your role at Chief Information Officer, your CIO role?
1: Yeah, um, so I'm a 30-year IT professional. I actually started off my career working in higher education um, computer store at at my university, UMass Boston. Uh, they trusted me enough not to break things, so they started training me at the campus. Um, as I went along, I moved up into different positions. I served as a systems librarian. Um, I had an opportunity to switch over to Tufts University, so I really started off my IT career in higher education. At one point uh, during the dot com boom, I relocated down to Connecticut and started working inside of what's called the managed services companies now. That used to be more break fix shops. So did that for a while. Worked as the network manager for Fairfield University, worked with several, I said, managed services shops, doing large-scale migrations for hospitals, Fortune 500 companies, and a lot of different companies. Came back to Massachusetts, worked again for another managed services company, but I got the opportunity to interview with MassBay Community College. Been um, with, associated with MassBay now for over 12 years. Absolutely love the place. It's really transformative. You know, I think uh, one of the most beautiful things in the world to see is our commencement ceremony, where you see, you know, different generations kind of achieving dreams. Um, it really does bring a lot of purpose and meaning to me to be working with a school that really cares so much about its students and seeing its impact. So, again, yeah, 30-plus years, the majority of it in higher education, great field, absolutely love what I do. I truly think i found my calling.
0: Such a great journey, and uh, always amazing how in your in education how you always seem to find your way back, or many of us tend to find our way back. It's always I uh, enjoy hearing other people's journeys back. Um, similar background as well. I, I managed uh, the, the the Mac Labs back in my day. They trusted me not to break the Macs back in the you know, late 90s. So I I can relate to that side of your story as well.
1: Yeah, I mean it's it again. It's funny that. I'm basically walking the halls. I was working for a supermarket at the time, and they just needed somebody big enough who could lift heavy boxes. And then after that, they had enough trust in me not to basically break the the printers or the computers while I was working on them. So I started off doing Mac repairs with the old Mac Classics, and I still have the scars on my knuckles because those chassis weren't really built for a big guy like me.
0: (laughs) That's funny. That's a great story. I would love to understand now as we, you know, shift away from the hardware part of the discussion into more of the technology and the current state of education, um, you know, where is MassBay currently, would you say, in your usage and exploration of the newest and latest greatest technology such as uh, AI and artificial intelligence?
1: Yeah, it's a very big topic with our school, not just our school, but all of higher education in Massachusetts. You know, one of the advantages I had and one of the reasons I'm glad to be back um, with MassBay, is I've actually started teaching again. This past year, I kind of returned to the classroom along with being the CIO. And it's really kind of built in a great experience to kind of see what my students are experiencing with our technology, see if there's any gaps. I always like to place myself in that position. You know, one of the things I went back and got my master's degree, so I served in the role of a student served in the role of a faculty member. So it's kind of good to have those first person experiences. But the interesting thing with AI, in particular ChatGPT, is when I started my spring class in January, you know, during our second class I had was teaching about, as an introductory class, so I was teaching about surgeons and, you know, stuff like Wolfram Alpha. And I said, oh, who knows about Chat GPT? And nobody in the class had known about it. So, fast forward as it's a 15 week class. We're basically entering into presentations. So, with three weeks left to go in the class, so again, overall, probably 12 weeks later, I asked the class the same question Who's heard about ChatGBT? And every single one of them had heard about it. Now, the reaction on our campus was, you know, mixed. I was really pleased that a lot of our senior faculty members, especially around the English department, were engaging with it. They're like, Yeah, we see this is coming. We see this as a tool. Let's talk about it. And they really led a lot of the conversations. So we had a number of different workshops throughout the spring and into the beginning of the summer session where we started talking about, what is this? What is it going to do? Is it a cheating tool? Um, you know, one of the first reactions from anybody, and not just with me, but other schools is, okay, how can we detect this on our learning management systems? How can we block it? And when you start to kind of break it down... You know, and I kind of share this with a lot of people. It's like, well, we can have a detection tool and a detection tool came out, but there's about 15, if not 100 videos on YouTube saying, take what's inside of Chat GPT, put it into Grammarly, change it around a little bit, and then all of a sudden it's undetectable. So it's been a real hot topic. I mean, there is some conversations about is it cheating? Is it augmentation? I've been trying to frame the conversation that it's not artificial intelligence, it's augmented intelligence. Kind of similar to like when Wolfram Alpha came up and a lot of people were like, well, it's going to do it's going to do our students math homework. And or even when a search engine came up and it says, well, it's going to take the place of all the research we're going to do at the lab at uh, the library. So a lot of conversations around it.
0: Yeah. At lightning speed in 15 weeks. I can only imagine um, the experience you were having in the classroom with that, uh, knowing that. The technology and adapt- adaptiveness of, of the technology in and of itself has um, really changed the game for just in general how education is going to operate going forward. But I think also some good points you brought up there about, you know, the things that have been in the past and, you know, all of what we would expect of, you know, well, least great thing with a search, right? Search engines, we're going to get rid of the libraries or get rid of the usage of that. And I think it's, you know, that ability to us as humans to adapt as well is going to be important. Um, what would be some of your advice to your other academic peers, you know, knowing obviously that you've got the role of the CIO, you tend to you know, probably stay up to speed with the level of technology, at least the adaption of it. Um, what would you say to a non-tech savvy uh, colleague of yours that's teaching that's going to be impacted by this or potentially have to think about the impact of that in their classroom?
1: Uh, stay connected. You know, there is a great website out for this called there, there is an AI for that. And it's a great way of kind of staying on topic, you know, seeing what the new iterations and new, you know, innovations are coming out. I mean, there's also a podcast like this great podcast to kind of keep yourself up to date and keep yourself in the game. I mean, one of the things that, you know, when it comes down to the idea of Moore's Law, and Moore's Law basically says that over X amount of time, technology will double. Well, no, it's no longer true just for hardware and software. It's true for AI. You know, just looking at there's an AI for this, you can just see the explosion of how more and more tools have been coming out for this. Everything from image creation, everything from, you know, tools geared towards education. like one of the ones i like to mention is Cactus AI, which is really geared towards we will help you produce your papers and materials and things along those lines. So, having an understanding of what's out there, having an understanding that it's not just ChatGPT, it's a lot of other things. And also, having an understanding of where, you know, ChatGPT in particular is going, you know, with its uh, partnership with Microsoft and the investment they've made in there, Microsoft is doing a huge push into this. They're integrating. Uh, you know, pieces of AI into Office. So you're going to see a lot of that functionality be brought directly into Office. And, you know, it's one of Microsoft's goals is to use AI to have more people interested in its Office suite than using the free services like Google. Now on those lines, Google has barred now that they basically, through their acquisition of DeepMind and everything that went along with that, so that's where they're pushing it to. So, so I think the first thing is, keeping up to date with it, you know, basically get yourself either a nice podcast you like to listen to, subscribe to, there's an AI for that so you can start to get the information and just be aware of the conversations that are going on and ask a colleague.
0: Those are great talking points that you brought up for particularly regarding Microsoft's and Google's usage and, and more importantly, the implementation of this. Um, that leads us into uh, the other talking point that we have for today would be around data governance, um, intellectual property or however we want to label it for today. Where would you say you feel at a university level? Would be some of the pitfalls that you think you're going to have to watch and avoid around that data governance to ensure that you're protecting the, the usage of, the, of what's going into those large language models.
1: Yeah, it's similar to any time you look at what's the terms and conditions of any agreement. <clears throat> so, you know, through a security review, we're always looking about what we're sharing with other applications and, you know, what is their protection model around the data? Um, if we're basically loading up data into a system, we want to know how it's being securely stored, if it is compromised, what the reporting requirements are for it. So it basically starts with the regular vetting process that we do for any product that we bring on. And we go through, okay, how is the data going to be protected? Is it in compliance with all state and federal regulations that we need to adhere to? Uh, secondly, and this is actually not just with governance, but it's in the use of AI. It's you know the curation process of it. So it's having the ability that even if it's going to write something for us, for example, so say if we asked it to give us a draft for a new GLBA policy, um, you need to have the vetting process. You need to have the proof of it to make sure there's no bias, make sure that it's in compliance. Um, you know, I've heard recently about um, a lawyer using ChatGPT to write, write its briefs and basically got in trouble and I believe got disbarred for it. So, I mean, there's, you know, there is a responsibility that whatever is produced, you're going to be responsible for the outcomes of it. So it's having that curation, it's having that due diligence, it's doing that fact checking. It's not just say, okay, we'll feed it into the robot, have it spit it out to go faster. It's like, nope, you got to double check the work still uh, the same way you would double check the work if a person did it. Um, And that is like having the rules around it. You know, for us, it's the idea of what's acceptable use of AI and academic purposes, you know. You know, one of the things in my CS 118 class I teach, it's about scripting. And I said students could easily go in, go to ChatGPT, and say, "Write me a PowerShell script that does X, Y, and Z." And I said, "Well, do you really know it, or is it just you basically using the robot to get the information?" So I think those are all different things that kind of come around it. Um, I think having, for us, having where use of AI fits into our cheating policies and academic integrity policies. Um, Again, due diligence around security and data protection. And just in general, you know, an understanding that, you know, you're still responsible for the work that the AI is producing.
0: Yeah. That ethical, Implementation of AI is going to be something that I think is going to be very important to see come out there. I'm glad you brought that case up about the lawyer because it's that same thing. You know, there's going to, going to be ethical lawyers around AI and, uh, you know, the legality of the use of this is going to be very interesting. Um, I almost wonder how your peers are feeling that are involved, you know, the academic integrity side of the house when it comes to cheating. You know, obviously it's always been policy, I'm sure, at a university level around. You know things like Turnitin.com or those kind of technologies, but I wonder what's going to be next from an AI perspective to ensure the ethicalness of the data being created is valid.
1: Yeah, that's the real conversation that's going on right now. Like um, our learning management system is Black is Blackboard Learn, and actually, I have my LMS expert out at their conference at the Anthology World Conference, and the number one task I gave him is tell me what the conversation around AI. In a uh, checking in, as you as you uh, explained, turn it in is an option. But as I said before, there's a, you know, for every one of those solutions that's in place, there's a tool out there that says feed it into this, feed it into that. And you can pretty much whitewash the content. You know, it almost gets into a stance where some of our faculty saying, well, we'll do more in class work. Some have actually said, well, I don't care if you create it as long as you're going to fact check it and you're responsible for it. And even some faculty quizzing students on the paper that they, they sent in to kind of see if it's their original material. So, yeah, there's a couple of different approaches to it that's going to need to take place. Um, you know, again, for me, with the classes I teach, since it's so technology related, I lean into it as just another tool. But explain to people, you know, like everything else, you're going to be responsible for it. Here's how you use it responsibly. But it's it's an open topic. Again, January, nobody in my class knew about it. We're now almost, you know, almost seven months later, and it's the number one topic on most IT people's mind.
0: Yeah, the lightning speed of that's amazing. It's gonna be almost uh, interesting to see how what the fall does to the language models and how quickly I think 4.0 is already out for mass consumption on the ChatGPT side at least.
1: Oh yeah, and then there's the announcement of um what's it called? Uh Twitter wants to do, it's called X, I think it's called X1, but they want to, again, one, Elon Musk was one of the original uh, investors in open AI, and he really wanted to be an open system. So he's thinking about basically building his own version of AI and how he's going to build his language model is feeding in all the feeds from Twitter. Um, you know, one of the big things with Bard is all the data that Google has to feed into it. So, you know, and not only just with, and the big thing with Google, this isn't just, you know, search engine materials and materials from documents and everything else along those lines, but it's all the voice, you know, recognition they can add in because of Google voice and because of YouTube. So it's a lot of content that they can ingest into BART. So it's going to be interesting to see what the next six months looks like.
0: Definitely. Um, I think one of the points I like to address a little bit more with you, so that push for more potential instructor-led, you know, obviously being Blackboard Learn as well. I'm sure, with with all of the change that happened, you know, with the over um, the move from pandemic, you know, are are you doing a lot of online curriculum still at this point, as it been moved all back to the classroom? You know, is that going to impact, you know, maybe some of those other strategies you think that have been implemented over the last few years?
1: Yeah, so it was a big piece with MassBay that we did asynchronous uh, distance learning during COVID like everybody else did. But typically, our remote classes are, you know, are, are, sorry, we did synchronous remote learning. Pardon me. Our traditional model is asynchronous remote learning. So it isn't an in-person classroom, and, and it's really meant for people to kind of work the class around their schedule. Um, you know, our president really believes strongly in, in it, and the statistics back it up, that you know, the best outcomes for our students are those interactions, our in-person classes, uh, you know, the passing rate or failure dropout rate of having that interaction, having a connecting with a person. Additionally, college is a lot more than just passing grades. It's about meeting people, having a social exper- experience. A lot of times, you know, some of our students, their only college experience will be community college, and we want to make it the most rich and warming and inviting environment possible. And a lot of that happens when you come on campus. So it's been it's a priority for us is to have people come on campus, uh, interact with other people in their class, interact with you know the various departments on campus and, you know, really make that connection with their faculty member and really make a connection with the institution. so along those lines, it's like in, you know, it really does open us up to kind of having some more controls around the use of AI because it does open up for that more in class work that's going on that doesn't allow us so much to kind of be isolated, being able to submit stuff without having it looked at in other, in other, uh, other ways. So it's one of those benefits that we have in that sense. Um, you know, again, COVID taught a lot of stuff. It taught a lot of around technologies. I think one of the big things that's starting to uncover itself, and this is something I've talked at length with our school is, and it's about a term called tech shame. Um, there's an assumption that, you know, Gen Z students are naturally tech savvy, And the real reality of the situation is they, they're, they were born with technology, but their interfaces were smartphones, which were really locked on devices, and they didn't have a lot of under the hood experience. That, you know, with my generation of Gen X or even with the millennials after me, that we had. And what happens is they're not used to, you know, getting into more of a traditional desktop computer. They're not naturally inclined to everything. They're just more used to, here's the app, I open it up and the app takes me through the interface, which is good. But, you know, there is some gaps inside of that. So a lot of times just throwing more and more technology at them isn't a natural thing for them. It's one of the things with orientation that we're looking at. And it's actually one of the things we're hoping AI can help out with, and especially with what Microsoft's doing with integrating more in office where you almost have the next generation of Clippy. I know we all hated Clippy, but um, it's having that guide saying, okay, I see that you're trying to do this and create a, a resume, or I see you're trying to do this to create a term paper. And you have somebody who's kind of doing that over the shoulder action, even when a person's not available.
0: It certainly does feel like it's our us Xers time to shine, doesn't it? Uh- we have most definitely come full circle with Clippit. <laughs>
1: well, yeah, no, we basically, we, you know, Xers predated the Internet. And we were the first ones to kind of pick up on it. So, yeah, no, it's interesting. It's just, it's interesting to kind of see how it's gone. Again, haven't done this for over 30 years, I keep seeing the circles. I'm like, we want all home computers. Now we all want mainframes. Now we all want home mobile computers. Now we want everything in the cloud. And it just goes around and around and around. And so again, Clippy's getting his comeback on us right now.
0: With that in mind, uh, you peer into the crystal ball and you're going to give some advice to your peers out there that may not have uh, experienced the teardown of the machine. What's some of that advice that you're going to give to them?
1: So, um, well, again, it, What happens today is going to happen again. So the idea is the foundations of what we do is always going to be the same. How do we get people what they need to do their work? Now, again, that can take a lot of different forms. And, you know, but the basic practices of it stay the same. You have to protect your data. You have to have backups of your data. You have to make sure that you're not going to compromise your data. You got to make sure that the end user experience is a good end user experience. I think. A lot of times with some organizations, they want to get so tech heavy that they kind of lose, you know, the the bottom part of their audience where it becomes too complicated to it. So we always really emphasize the need to be customer focused. We want to build a customer focused IT organization. And again, the more and more we can do the kind of tools, whether they're videos, whether they're stuff like AI that's augmenting, helping along, I think it's going to help out an awful lot. Uh, The, you know, the biggest experience I can tell you over 30 years is people always appreciate that you're really smart you can get stuff done, but they appreciate more when you can talk to them and explain the topic because, you know, it's, it's foreign to them. It's alien and they want you to kind of break it down for them and make them confident so that they're not worried about it and not in the, it doesn't introduce any more anxiety into the workplace. Does that make sense?
0: It does. Michael, thank you for joining me today on the latest Tech and EdTech podcast. We appreciate your insight and look forward to you and our audience joining us in future podcasts.
1: Well, I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you so much.